This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Thursday, December 7th, 2023. Today would have been my mom's 82nd birthday. She passed away 17 years ago. Today will be better uh, than yesterday. Taylor Schwenk is joining me from Bristol. Taylor, we talked about, look, there are three uh, players. Uh, if they wind up uh, being moved or making a decision about where they're going to land, three players would have merited an emergency podcast and one of those happened with Juan Soto being traded to the Yankees. You know, Buster, this was the one that I really didn't want to do. You know, I mean, Shohei signing the Yankees would be bad, but this one seemed like inevitable. And I was dreading it and hoping it wouldn't. I saw everything, all the reporting, like, oh, this is happening. You're texting me saying it's happening. I lived in denial until about like 11.03 last night when it actually went down. So here we are. Yep, the Yankees get Juan Soto and Trent Grisham in a seven-player deal. San Diego received right-handers Michael King, who is, uh, you know, been someone that Carl Ravitch has known his entire life. We're going to be talking with Ravi in a few minutes about his connections with uh, with Michael King after this trade went down. Uh, and and uh, I know he's got a phone call out there for Yankees manager Aaron Boone. So we'll uh, we'll see if he hears from him. Johnny Burrito, Randy Vasquez, uh, starting pitching prospect, Drew Thorpe, catcher, Kyle Agashioka. Uh, they all go to San Diego. The Padres, of course, had to cut payroll, and they had to fill the back end of their rotation, and they do that with this deal, and now the Yankees have a future Hall of Famer in Soto in their lineup for at least one year. He's set for free agency in the fall of 2024. He's represented by Scott Boris. Uh, he's going to be making about $33 million next season. Some other moves since our last podcast. This uh, this big deal happened the day after the Yankees acquired Alex Verdugo from the Boston Red Sox uh, in, uh, in a trade for three pitchers. Eduardo Rodriguez signed a four-year $80 million deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks try to forge a path back to the World Series. The Orioles signed Craig Kimbrell to a one-year deal uh, for $13 million. There's also a club option for 2025 in this deal. Next week, the name that'll dominate the sport, or one of the two names, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, met with New York Mets owner Steve Cohen and president of baseball operations David Stearns. Stearns addressed it in speaking with reporters. He said, I think it demonstrates Steve's commitment to do everything possibly can to bring players to New York. Yamamoto it looks like is going to wind up with a contract that uh, will vie with uh, Garrett Cole's $324 million deal that he got with uh, from the Yankees. Yadier Molina has joined the St. Louis Cardinals as a special assistant to John Mazalock, their head of baseball operations. The Astros agreed to a two-year $12 million deal with uh, Victor Caratini, uh, who's essentially going to replace Martin Maldonado as the team's backup catcher. Eric Fetty signed with the Chicago White Sox. Kirby Yates went to the Texas Rangers. And Marco Gonzalez, who had been traded as part of the, the Jared Kelnick deal uh, and the, the Mariners' salary dump, he had moved to the Atlanta Braves. The Braves flipped him to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Dale, what else you got? Buster, are you sure you're allowed to talk about uh, that Yamamoto met with the Mets? You don't want to be oh, blackballed. I am allowed angry. to talk about that. I don't know okay. if we're allowed to talk about Otani, though, and mm. whether or not Otani's going to sign someplace because Dave Roberts got in some trouble this week because he did that. 
Mm, we're going to talk all about it with Ravi. I've got some thoughts too. When we get to Bleacher Tweets Buster, we can we can dig into it. All right. Way. Yeah. And I had some thoughts, as you know, uh, after our last podcast, you and I had been talking about it uh, and all those uh, thoughts that we had sort of uh, were some of the mortar of a column that I wound up writing that got reaction from everyone, uh, from a couple players within the sport to J.J. Watt, right? Yeah. People chiming in all over the place. All right. Well, read Buster's column and then uh, listen to the College Game Day podcast, which is on YouTube right now. Great episode. Check it out. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. All aboard! It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. Baseball tonight. The Rabbit Train, Carl Ravitch, the play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. You heard him on the, during the playoffs on ESPN Radio. Ravi, uh, look, when this trade went down with Juan Soto, I was thinking of you because of your personal connection with maybe the key piece of the of the group of players going back to San Diego. Tell me about those conversations you had with Michael King. Yeah, it's been pretty interesting the last couple of days. He's getting married a week from Saturday. Um, so that, that as I said to his dad, like this is so typical of baseball uh, that you have this milestone life event and somebody else is kind of dictating another big part of your life. But in the end, you know, we, we his dad and I, who worked together forever and have known Mike since he was born, you know, this is an enormous compliment. When A.J. Preller comes out and says, we just traded a Hall of Famer and you are the centerpiece in return for the Hall of Famer. Hey, you know what? Hang on one second, Buster. This might this might be good for the pod. Hang on one second. So, Ravi, you had to take a phone call uh, just then. Uh, you broke away for a second. Who was that from? So part of, you know, I, I never got to really finish the Michael King part of it. But, um, you know, last night uh, he was at the Rockettes which is something uh, he and his soon-to-be wife decided to do. He doesn't have MLB TV, so he had to get on the phone with his agent and, uh, and watch MLB TV through his agent's phone. It was, it was just bizarre. I mean, it was sort of typical of somebody who doesn't necessarily have that tool right away so you can sit there and watch. And he wasn't sitting there and watching it. But I think he received, uh, you know, three phone calls. One was from Brian Cashman. The other was from A.J. Preller. And one was from Aaron Boone, the manager. And I spoke to his, uh, I spoke to his dad this morning. And, and the impression that Booney's phone call left on him was incredible. So I just reached out to Aaron to let him know how important that call was. 
and, and the knowledge that everybody has. And I think you understand this, and I certainly do, and people in baseball, as I was saying, if you get traded for a future Hall of Famer and you're the centerpiece, like there's no greater compliment. And, uh, you know, having Michael start at the end of the year propelled him into this level of, well, that, that's like that's the guy that the Padres needed to have. I would imagine that the Yankees tried to throw other names in the mix to keep Michael King. But look, you and I have had many conversations with Aaron about King from literally from Jump Street, from when he was traded there, from the Miami Marlins who took him, I think, in the 12th or 13th round. I mean, this is a 12th or 13th rounder as the centerpiece being traded for Hall of Famer. Just on a personal level, it's really uh, cool to see something like that happen. And assuming he stays healthy, you know, he could end up having an incredibly successful career. And that's what the Padres are banking on. And that's what I think the Yankees in the end knew about the pitcher they gave up. And you have to give up somebody and a number of really talented players to get somebody like Juan Soto back. In Michael King's last seven starts uh, in 2023, a 2.02 ERA, just seven walks, 45 strikeouts, 35 and two-thirds innings. And this is following a lot of success that he had as a relief pitcher with the team. So the Padres really feel like that they're getting someone who's going to be a difference maker. And, you know, it's interesting because they didn't get a Jason Dominguez, because they didn't get, you know, super high-end prospects, people would be at the top of uh, the prospect list. You know, there's been some criticism of the Padres, you know, trading Juan Soto. I, I look at this and say, look, A.J. Perler was in a position where he was trying to thread a very fine needle. Uh, he wants the Padres, despite the fact that they have to cut their payroll dramatically, he's trying to contend in 2024. And the fact is, there are not a lot of teams, as great as Juan Soto is, who are going to be prepared to pay $33 million to one player, uh, knowing that that player is going to become a free agent next fall and is represented by Scott Boris, you know, pay substantially in prospects for a one-year rental. The, the Red Sox found that out when they were talking about Mookie Betts. And so if you're the Padres, what you just did in this trade was you got pitching, cheap pitching, Michael King being one of those, it's going to help you try to contend in 2024. I thought they did well under the circumstance. Yeah, it always feels like a a, a kind of a, I don't know, a, a kind of a tail to the whole story that's already down the road. And you say, yeah, they did pretty well. I mean, I, I don't know how when you trade a Hall of Famer or a player as young as Soto right. who's being you know named alongside the likes of Jimmy Fox and Mike Trout, et cetera, and, and come away feeling like we we nailed that. I mean, not, and again, in two or three years, you look back on it and think they did really well. They nailed it. They they didn't do well at all. I mean, all of that stuff is impossible to judge 72 hours later, let alone six months later. The, these things take time. But certainly on the surface, uh, when you're talking about starting pitching and looking at their rotation, assuming Snell is gone, they may have gotten three fifths of a starting rotation in one yes. deal. That's a so that then you've then on that level, if that's how it plays out, you did really well. I just know how painful it was for the Yankees to part with that guy, but that's part and parcel of a deal like this. There has to be some some pain. There has to be. Otherwise, you're not gonna be the team that ends up with Juan Soto. You're not. And they are way better with Juan Soto. Way better. 
Yeah. And Carl, I remember having a conversation with Billy Bean about, you know, when he was in the process of trading the likes of Mulder and Hudson. And, you know, he talked about conversations with other teams where, you know, other teams would say, look, we're not trading our A plus prospect. And he would say, yes, but it's going to hurt. Right. <laughs> Like there are going to be other players, and that's kind of what the Yankees did here. They didn't trade any of their top five, uh, you know, guys who list the prospect list. They didn't trade Jason Dominguez, but they did trade really good players, and they were in a yeah. unique position with their depth and starting pitching to make a deal for Soto. So before we get into the specifics of him, I want to ask you: You're Aaron Boone. You just talked to him. Uh, you're Aaron Boone, and you're writing out the lineup on opening day, which you know, mm. Jason Dominguez will not be available. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery. But you know that Juan Soto and his agent, Scott Boris, made a big deal to the Padres last year about how he needed to hit third. You're writing out your lineup card. Tell me what you're, uh, you're writing down, one through, let's say, six. Oh, that's a great – that's such a good question, and there's so many variables. Um and and by you the know, way, now you also have Alex Verdugo in the mix. You got you got Trent Grisham in the mix potentially. Uh, yeah, you're facing a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, give me your lineup for opening day next year. Yeah, I I I don't want you know I don't I I hope that a player of Soto's ilk or any of those guys, Mookie Betts, uh, Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge, um, you know Tatis. I, I understand this a sort of level of maybe belief or comfort in their own minds where they feel like I should hit. But at some point, the manager really has got to be the guy to try to maximize that talent. Uh, I, I think for me, Soto's an on-base machine. Um, he's an RB. Like, <laughs> Soto, such he does so many things great. You could lead him off. You could hit him third. You could hit him second. Um, but I need – I think I need – personally – I need Soto batting ahead of Judge. I need Judge coming up with men on base, as many men as we can have on base. I think that was a problem for the Yankees last year. Um, and historically, some of these great home run hitters don't have huge RBI totals because they're hitting solo shots because the guys aren't getting on ahead of them. Um, I'd probably hit – I'm, I'm a little torn on the leadoff guy. I'd have Soto two, Judge three. Um, and I'm trying to think of – you know, where we want to go with LeMay, who, who, who in his prime is an on-base machine. Dave Verdugo. Yeah. Volpe's down. Verdugo's down a little bit. Glaber in the four, you know, the fourth spot. Stanton is the DH. I'm not sure I could sit here right now and give you the order. And I think what happens for Booney is this: the order's going to change dramatically. Um, based on DH, based on the opposing pitcher, based on the player availability, but between Verdugo and Judge and Soto, uh, you know, you have a lot of movable parts with Stanton as your DH or give Judge a day to be the DH and have Verdugo play in center field or have Soto play in left field and let Stanton play somewhere in the outfield for a day. I, I'm not sure there's going to be an everyday lineup, and I'm sure in the beginning of the year, Buster, it's going to take a while. But I I need so I prefer to have Soto before Judge and give Judge all those opportunities. But my goodness, I mean, think about think about the protection that each of these guys affords for the other. No matter how you you know, no matter how you line them up, they haven't had a lefty hitter do things that Soto's done or will likely do since Giambi. You know, they they just haven't had that, and it's not really as Mike Petriello 
who works with us and, of course, you know, does a great job for MLB.com writing. It's not necessarily a, uh, a big benefit to be a left-handed hitter there with the right field porch. The beauty of Soto, and Boris said it, uh, it may not be his favorite park, but it's Juan Soto. Every park he shows up to, it's a pretty good park for Juan Soto. So, I, I, you know, without answering your one through six, I, I think I'd like Soto ahead of Judge. Yeah, I saw yesterday someone was tweeting out that, you know, Soto would be well served to learn how to pull the ball more. And I just laughed at that. I'm like, no, yeah. he's doing pretty good. You yeah, know, I'll, I'll take the Juan Soto we've seen so far, which whose historical comp is Ted Williams. You know, right. I, I, you know, don't worry about where you're hitting the ball. Uh, the one thing about Soto that I am going to be curious to see uh, is how he adjusts in New York. Because y- you remember when he got traded to the Padres, he was terrible in August. He was terrible yeah. in that first September of 22. He talked to teammates and they said, yeah, he's a little anxious. He's trying to prove himself to teammates. And of course, he wound up pulling himself out of that, had a phenomenal 2023 season. Uh, and maybe he learns from that and he's totally fine. But you and I know this. If you are a superstar dropping into New York for the first time in City Field or in Yankee Stadium and you struggle out of the gate, you are going to get booed. And we're not talking about like a month grace period. We're talking about one at bat grace period. Right. <laughs> so I'm curious to see. I think eventually he'll be fine as he was in San Diego. But I do think, as we saw with Giambi, who you referenced, and other guys, Going into that team in that ballpark is going to be a challenge at the outset for Soto. So it'll it, it uh, you know it's going to be really important for him to get off to a good start in what is an incredibly important year for him going into free agency. Yeah, I will say that, that there's there's the guys that are there in New York in that clubhouse, um, in Cole, in Judge, in having Aaron Judge put his arm around you and said, yep. I have, I got this. We Don't worry about it. And he had Bogarts and Machado. I understand that. Stanton has been booed mercilessly in New York. Like, there are guys that have experienced what it feels like to be on that end. Aaron Boone knows what it's like to be uh, a manager of a team in which guys are getting destroyed with the expectations that they have. That, that, that I would say, given – how successful he's been at such a young age and the expectations on him in Washington and what he did. And certainly in San Diego, he would be on the short list of people who I wouldn't worry about going into New York, whether it be now with the Yankees or with the Mets, if he went to the Dodgers, like I, I, I just don't feel like that stuff is going to eat away at him so long. And as you know, in every sport, when you are the guy, there's a reason that you have you, you have been put into that conversation. It's because of what you have done. Juan Soto is like Steph Curry, is like Patrick Mahomes. Like, we're not going to worry because the talent is there. That's what got him into this position. It's not because some perception. The reality is he's that good. Whether it's New York or Los Angeles, Chicago, Toronto, it, it doesn't matter. Juan Soto is going to perform. But having that clubhouse and having guys like Judge and Cole be the leaders in that clubhouse is going to help him immensely. Remember, Along he came from same- a fractured clubhouse. San Diego wasn't – there was some issues there. And, and whatever they were, uh, I don't think those present themselves in New York currently. Along the same lines, uh, and we've got some, uh, you know, some other uh, things I want to ask you about. We'll do some quick cutters. Alex Verdugo going to New York uh, in his contract year before free agency. 
I think mm-hmm. in a similar way, he'll benefit from the presence of Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge will be a guy who's a terrific leader. He was a guy who, you know, he will, if Verdugo, uh, as you know, in his time with Boston, uh, it, it felt like attention was an issue. Like he would be totally on. And the Yankees, I remember going back to 2020, Yankee players, Yankee staff are telling me, I love Verdugo. I love the passion that he plays with. But over his time with the Red Sox, especially in the second half of 2023, his attention seemed to waver a little bit. I think having Aaron Judge alongside him, kind of nudging him if he doesn't run out of ball, uh, talking to him if he shows up a little bit late for batting practice or whatever it is, uh, and then encouraging him to work through that, I think that's really going to help Verdugo. I think he's going to thrive with the Yankees. What about you? I think he's, I think he's got a perfect personality for it. Um, yep. Yeah, we'll have to see. I, I think the leash got really short in Boston because of some of the uh, issues that they had inside and, and on the field with him. And we'll see. A, a new, look, that may be a change of scenery. That The talent is there. He's a good fielder. He's a clutch guy. He's been on the microphone with us several times on Sunday night. I mean, there's a personality there. There's a fire there. But think about the teams that, that he's been traded from, you know, that he's left. Those are those are pretty good organizations. So here's your next chance to to make it happen. And now you're going to be doing it with the Yankees and not the Dodgers and not the Red Sox. We'll see. I, I think the judge presence is a big deal. I agree with you on that. I really do. I think I think he's he's a linchpin to a whole bunch of this stuff. And now they're going to be in the conversations. Yoshinobu uh, Yamamoto yep. will begin to meet with teams next week. And uh, next week, we'll talk more about him. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, four years, $80 million to sign with the Diamondbacks. Carl, I love this because it signals the Diamondbacks front office ownership willing to bet on a team that reached the World Series. Yeah, really good. Huge strikeout numbers last year in innings pitched. Um, off-field stuff, which I think has been quasi well-chronicled, but being around family... Look, Arizona allows you, and I think it was Longoria when he got out there, allows you to basically live there year-round. You know, the training, that's where the, the team's home is. Uh, there's there's opportunity there for some stability. And look, Eduardo Rodriguez, the, the frustrating part about Rodriguez is when he's right, he is so dominant. And when he's not, you're like, this is not today. You can almost tell in the second inning, like, it's not going to work. It's just not – it's time to pull the plug. And hopefully – this affords him the stability that he's he's craved, and his stuff is tremendous. And I do think for for your your point, like when you looked at the World Series last year, and in the end it felt somewhat one sided. Uh, what do the Diamondbacks do now? Because it felt felt like all right, the Padres are still pretty good. The Giants are making changes. They're likely going to add some big players because they keep trying to do that. Uh, what is Arizona going to do? Like when will they be back in this position? Again, and I think to Mike Hazen's credit, uh, they're reminding people like, well, next year, like that's that's what we're trying to do. We, we think, you know, our window is not just a one off. And now we're going to compliment our staff with Eduardo Rodriguez. It's a damn good front three in that starting staff. I can tell you that. What do you think about the Orioles signing Craig Kimbrell to be their closer, knowing that Felix Bautista will be out all the next year following Tommy John surgery? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look, uh, you know, we, we, we've, all, we've all watched the entire career of Craig Kimbrell when he was unhittable to there's, there's a bit of a holding your breath when he gets the ball on the mound. I thought he was really good with Philadelphia last year. Uh, they don't have a closer. He, he is, he's a Hall of Fame closer. Um, whether 
Whether that translates to 40 saves next year, for his sake and for the Orioles, I hope so. Um, so I, I think the move makes makes sense if if they were going to figure out a way to get Josh Josh Hader there, but it's not going to be Felix Bautista because nobody is. It's not going to be the game's over when the bullpen door opens. It's uh, it's a risk reward. Taylor, you as the resident Orioles fan, I want you to chime in here on this move. Uh, the Orioles continue their streak of not having a single player under a multi-year contract. It's funny how that works, Buster. It's almost like it's all by design. Uh, <laughs> Craig Kimball's, Kimball's fine, you know. Maybe they'll turn Cano into the closer, and he's kind of the setup man. You know, I, I do like the experience. I'm kind of neutral on the move. They bolstered the bullpen at the, at the very least. They can say that. All right, Carl. Uh, Joe Castiglione, the longtime play-by-play man for the Red Sox on ES on, uh, on ESPN Radio and WEI. Uh, he will be honored at the Hall of Fame next year. I know you know Joe. What did you think when you heard this news? Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Uh, you know, I think I think sometimes you know wherever you grow up, you become very attached to uh, the people that you listen to, especially on the radio. Um, you can ask Sarah's mom about growing up in San Francisco and who she listened to uh, and how that person impacted her life. Uh, certainly in New York, um, you know, they're, they're very protective of their broadcasters, rightfully so. Growing up in Boston, Joe Castiglione's voice was one of the voices that was, you know, the baseball soundtrack. And he, he's not only an accumulator because he's done it for so long, He's excellent at what he does. And I think at some point, I, I personally believe when somebody does something for so long, the listener uh, relies on their credibility. That that becomes a very big part of it. You know, there's a lot of young broadcasters who kind of come and go and there's a shtick. Castiglione is just rock solid across the board. You know what you're going to get. It's a tremendous depiction of what's happening on the field. He is completely in touch with the history of the organization and the players. And uh, look, he rode the wave of these World Series, which is a really neat thing. And it's a, it's another feather in a cap of a historic career. And I'm, I couldn't be happier for him. He's a, and, and more importantly, he's a good guy. He's a good man. He's a great guy. Uh, and, you know, it was neat yesterday to see all of the you know folks who worked with him in Boston, uh, you know other play-by-play yeah. people, other color, color analysts expressing their joy about you know this decision because they know him as a person, as you know and I know. That's not always the case. Yeah. <laughs> There's sincere <laughs> happiness uh, because he had such strong relationships with people up there. And I'd say this about the Hall of Fame: you know they get to make up their own rules, and I do hope that going forward. That you know, next year's ballot includes uh, you know Crook and Pipe as yeah, a, as together. a unit, and Ron yep. Darling and Keith Hernandez and Gary Cohn as a unit. Mm-hmm. You know, and and put those. I, I I know it's not been their tradition to uh you know to uh, honor uh, a particular booth. You know, two or three guys. I, I think they have the opportunity to do that going forward. So that that's nice. my little hope uh when it comes to the broadcasting award there all right uh last topic is about shohei otani as we sit here today what's your guess about where he's going to land well it, it i would say that the team that needs to do something most currently um are the dodgers and and there's a lot of teams like breathing down their neck 
that that seem to have to do something. You and I have talked about this for years. Uh, we had Larry Bear come into our booth in San Francisco and say, this is a superstars game. Like the organization in San Francisco knows what a superstar means to a team. There's no bigger superstar that's ever been a free agent in Major League Baseball like Shohei Otani. But the Dodgers uh, ha have got to continue to claim being the best team in the West, and th they're not. So I'd say it's the Dodgers and Giants one and two. But I will say this about Otani. The, the, because of this secrecy, which I know you wrote about, and I, I would – I would agree with the things you said. I, I, I don't understand any of the MO. I don't understand how they operate. Um, but I it like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked because of the way things have gone. If if it's a Cubs or if it's a it's a, it's just another team not Blue named Jays. LA or yeah or not named San Francisco or LA. I mean I I don't know. I just it, it wouldn't surprise me if some other team because we just don't know like we don't know what it is that motivates him maybe they they're talking to some team that is checking off every one of of the wish lists that they have uh, look i go back to what i said to you before if you you know if you or i said this on mlb network radio with eduardo and steve at some point if, if we keep talking about wanting to win um it's not one player that makes a team win so because we've seen that with two great players in in Los Angeles, you've got to you've got to be a big part of this in, in dictating where you want to go. It's one thing to sit there and say, you know, all right, you know, sweep me off my feet. But at some point, I want to have a say in where I'm going because I want to win. And Los Angeles feels like, you know, a spot that could happen. Chicago is clearly moving in the right direction. The way San Francisco is constructed right now, I don't I don't see them winning 107 again anytime soon. But that's where the players got to have a say in this because the money is, to me, it's it, it's unbelievable everywhere you go. So it's not about money. If it's about winning, go to a team that next year with Shohei Otani's name penciled in, you know they have a chance to win the World Series. You know what's going to be absolutely incredible? If the Dodgers don't sign Shohei Otani, that a part of the narrative is, is that Dave Roberts blew it for them by uttering his name well, out loud. I, I applaud Dave Roberts. That's lunacy. Uh, I mean, well, so I, what, I, what are we – that's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to say this, and I think you'll agree with me. If you were to drop a list of the 10 most respectful people in the sport, good yeah, guys. Number one. Number one. Dave, right. Roberts is so respectful – but the reason why we got to this moment was because early in the process, we heard from teams that they were being warned by Otani's camp. Don't talk about him out loud. Don't talk about his free agency. You're not allowed to talk about anything. Uh, and so the Dodgers have this meeting with Otani earlier in the week at Dodgers Stadium. Newsflash, biggest spending team in baseball meets with the most prominent free agent. Dave Roberts is asked a question about it. Uh, at the winter meetings and he acknowledges, yeah, we met with him. We had a good meeting. Yeah, he's a priority for us. And the world ex and he's immediately peppered with questions. You know, why did you talk about him out loud? It, the general manager of the team, Brandon Gomes, is being asked questions. Why did he talk about him out loud? And and Brandon kind of separates himself from Dave Roberts. And then Andrew Friedman yesterday kind of does the same thing. Talked about how he had a private conversation with Dave about yeah, I don't know if you should have said that sort of thing, and we'll just leave it at that. How 
ridiculous is this, Carl? I, I just find this whole thing to be so silly and such a lost opportunity. And this is what I wrote about. You know, this is a player everybody loves. He's a unique player in baseball history. Everyone is lining up to, to give him a ton of money, to kiss his butt. Uh, and for some reason, we have this weird secrecy, as we've talked about before, to the point that he won't even give us the name of the dog that he's sitting next to. Uh, he, the other day, after he met with the Toronto Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, the general manager of the team, won't acknowledge that he met with Otani and is sitting with a backdrop on a Zoom call. It's a white wall. It's like he's the hostage. <laughs> right it's absurd and and what i wrote about in the column was imagine if otani handled it this way if he met with the blue jays and afterward he did a 10-minute zoom call with reporters he easily would have deflected questions about his forthcoming decision say hey i'm still in the process of it so i don't know where i'm going to sign but you know what i love meeting with the blue jays and i love the idea of maybe getting a chance to play with vladimir guerrero jr uh, and Bo Bichette, he he's so much energy. And and John Snyder, their manager, what a warm guy. And I love the facility that the Blue Jays have down here in Florida. Uh, and I, I think the organization, there's so much uh, that's good about it to the point that, you know what, I'm going to donate $50,000 to Jays Care, which helps out kids. And I, you know, as thanks to the organization for giving me their time and their consideration, different would that be if he had handled this free agency that way and and truly i don't know whether this is a decision by otani or nezbalelo his agent but it's a joke what a waste for baseball yeah i'm like i'm not speaking for dave roberts but there was a part of me that said if i were in his shoes and i had to think about this so am i supposed to withhold information that i know that i don't believe should in any way impact whether this guy comes or not but i also have to make sure that if this person does come here to play, if Shohei Otani joins this organization, there are there are really house rules that we have here that Betts and Freeman have been able to abide by that we that we and I find it really difficult to put myself in a position to be submissive to a player and his whims or wishes. And you all, we all know, everybody listening to this podcast knows that certain players over the years have had things written into their contracts that stipulate I need X, Y, Z, the Rolling Stones, what they had to have in their concert rooms before they played. All that stuff aside, the, the Jordan rules and the Otani rules, if that's what's going to happen, as a manager, you got to, I think, I got to let everyone know, not going to be as easy as it may have been where you were here. You, you know, you're, you're part of a team. There's, yes. there's no I in team, but there is a me in there. And you've got to be very careful, as as Pat Riley said, about the disease of me. And there's no indication on the team, in the locker room, that Otani does anything to uh, alienate his teammates uh, that I've heard. But this idea that we've got to keep this conversation secret, and if not, it, it, it blows the thing up. I don't uh, – that, that to, to Dave Roberts' credit, if that's what he was doing – then I'm certainly applauding that. Like I, I can't, like I can't, I can't look in the mirror and say, "Sure, I can do this." That doesn't make sense to me. I agree with what Dave said. I'm sorry, I do. Well, hopefully, behind the scenes, Andrew Friedman, Brandon Gomes are saying the same thing. A lot of people have said to me privately in front offices, like, "This is silly. It's ridiculous." And they assured Dave, "Look, this is no matter what happens, it's not going to affect our view of you, because you and I both know that's going to be the narrative." 
if the if the Dodgers don't get Otani, he's going to be blamed. You know, that's well, they already have me. Uh, have people me on already the po- being asked questions the, about that, which is just so have me silly. On the podcast. Have me on the podcast, and I'll and I'll be one of those that stand up and say, if that's the case, good on the Dodgers and good on Dave Roberts. Yeah. All right, Carl. Good to talk with you, uh, as always. See you, bud. So we've been referencing Dave Roberts' controversial comments to reporters. Give a listen to Dave Roberts talking about uh, the Dodgers meeting and being asked about the Dodgers meeting with Shohei Otani. Are you able to say about the show? Am I able to say that? Um, it's a good possibility. I, I think that, um, um, yeah, we met with him. You know, I don't want to. I'd like to be honest, and so uh, we, we we met with Shohei, and uh, we talked, and um, I think it went well. I think it went well, but at the end of the day, uh, he's his own man, and he's going to do what's best uh, for himself, uh, where he feels most comfortable. So the day after all that happened, Dave Roberts spoke with 5.70 a.m., <laughs> controversy that burbled up about him mentioning the name of Shohei Otani out loud. What'd you think about uh, the reaction you got over really just uh, being honest? And, you know, I guess nobody asked you if you've brushed up on your Japanese. I mean, there's other Japanese players available for the Dodgers. Dave. Yeah, you know, I, I think I was a little taken aback. I, I think that, um, you know, in this uh, day and age where uh, certainly uh, transparency, honesty is, is paramount, is, is um, you know, I felt kind of... Uh, you know, being honest would try not to uh, disrespect anyone of, of the parties. And uh, so to kind of answer a question truthfully, it, it sort of blew up. But uh, it wasn't me that asked the question, no, just no, for no. the record. I did not ask no, that question. No, Dave, and, and people have jobs to do. So I've got no problem with that. So I think for me is that my respect for uh, all parties involved uh, should never be in question. So, uh, you know, I, I love baseball. I've always said that. Uh, I love players. I love advocating for players. I love advocating for our game. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus. It treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. 
This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer at MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing today? I am doing great. One photo is in New York now, which means that I who live outside New York. I'm able to go see him at Yankee Stadium anytime I want. Very, very excited for this development from a personal standpoint because Juan Soto is one of my favorite players to watch in the game right now. All right, so I'm going to try to pin you down on that regard. If I were to ask you for your top three lists, no. starting at number three, who are your favorite players to watch? In oh the current God. generation of players, you know, start with number three and count us down to one. I mean, this is absolutely impossible, but I think I have to go with Acuna, Julio, and Soto. I mean, Soto, I've been such a big fan of from the first day he stepped foot in the majors. I remember him in June of 2018 hitting a home run in that suspended game. Against the Yankees, that counts as being before his MLB debut. And the moment he did like that quirky, I was like, all right, I'm in. I saw the plate this one. I was told, obviously, my, you know, relationship having gotten to meet Julio Rodriguez and how great he has been to me and how great he is as a player. Very well documented on this podcast. You can't not mention Ronald Acuna Jr. And again, there's so many great players right now. I mean, I almost need the next generation now. Yeah, the Gunnar Hendersons, the athletes, what have you. But in that kind of era, those are the three I'll pick right now. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So Juan Soto is a three-time All-Star and he just turned 25 back in October. On opening day, he's going to play for his third MLB team, Nationals, Padres, and now the Yankees. He will be the first player in MLB history to make at least three All-Star teams and change teams twice, all before turning 26. So what that means, Nobody has ever been trained twice at this young age and been this good. I mean, a generational talent. And there are a lot of ways to look at this, but the way I look at it is that three fan bases will have gotten a chance, a chance to absolutely fall in love with how good this player is and get a chance to claim him as their own every for him. Number two. Number two is 640. So I mentioned the plays this one earlier. Let's talk about it a little bit. He has 640 career walks. Again, he is 25 years old. He has yet to play a game as a 25-year-old. Those are the most by anyone before turning 25. And it's also the second most by anyone before turning 26. He is 29 walks away from passing Mickey Mail with 668 from the most walks by any player before turning 26. And again, he has not played a game in the majors at the age of 25 yet. And how fun is it that when he passes this, he'll be passing a historic Yankees record. I mean... Knowing he would be passing Mantle is always very cool, but now they'll be doing it in 10 trips is even cooler. 
Number one. Number one is two. So I want to bring people back to a specific game in June of 2018 when Juan Soto had been up for about 20, 25 games. On June 13th, 2018, he had two home runs at Yankee Stadium. He became the third youngest player to have a multi-homer game at any version of Yankee Stadium including the postseason, the only guys younger than him were Andrew Jones in the 1996 World Series and Ken Jr. in 1989. Again, Juan was 19 years old. It was his first career multi-hour game. I love when poetic things like this happen. It'd be really cool even if it was his second or third multi-hour game. But the fact that it was his first multi-hour game, and now he's going to be playing there as a home player is so, so cool. All right. I'm going to make you be Aaron Boone, okay, manager of the Yankees. How are you arranging your lineup now that you have Juan Soto, Alex Verdugo in your outfield mix along with Trent Grisham? Uh, so the lineup or the outfield lineup. So my outfield alignment would be Soto and Verdugo and Judge. We're going to put Judge in center field. I think that you put the the lesser outfielder in right field in Yankee Stadium because it's a smaller spot. So Soto's in right field, and I got Verdugo in left field. That's your outfield alignment. I agree with that. I do think Sean Grisham is a really, really good center fielder. I think Yankee fans might be a little bit like, Maybe a Harrison Bader in terms of we got him for the defense. We'll see what the bat does. I can see, depending on playing time and results, Grisham may be working his way into that outfield or Berber Dugo, depending on how the season goes. I agree that's how we'll probably start. And as for lineup, I mean, I know Soto, I believe, has talked about liking hitting third, but I think you have to hit him second ahead of Judd. Because every home run becomes a two-run home run. And if Soto hits one, then you get back-to-back. I mean, I'm very excited to start looking at, you know, Yankees record and games where they both are. I think, you know, DJ Lemayu makes sense of lifts, but if he's healthy, Anthony Volpe is also a very good choice. And uh, it's going to be so much fun to watch. I mean, you know, we'll see. I know Jim Carlson has had injury issues in the past and recently. But the idea of those three in this lineup is just absolutely incredible. And however many games we get it for, will be really a treat for all baseball fans. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot like the conversation we had about the the Dodgers and if they get Otani, where do you put him with Betts and with Freddie Freeman? Uh, imagine if Giancarlo Stanton bounces back next year and becomes a sort of that threat and you would have potentially Judge hitting two, Soto hitting three, and Stanton hitting four. That would be a beast for opposing starting pitcher if Stanton can bounce back. And even, even if he doesn't, you know, having to deal with Judge and Soto at the top of the lineup, uh, the grind that it would be for opposing pitchers is is going to have an impact for the Yankees. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Russell. 
Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster, Bleacher Tweets for a Thursday emergency pod. Bleacher Tweets here. And we got we to talk about your column, dude, because I feel like we had formulated it together for a while. And then you, you put pen to paper and everyone's mad at you, Buster, including J.J. Watt, which um, is interesting um, as a guy who famously loves to make it about himself. Uh, to criticize you. I, I've got a couple thoughts. What was your what were your thoughts on the reaction to this column that you're like, hey, show hey, you should you should have some fun with this. It's good for baseball. That's all you're really saying. You're saying, hey, let's create some excitement in free agency with the best player uh, you know, in the sport available. Well, I wasn't surprised because it was being critical of Otani and his camp. And by the way, he's represented by CA, same as the the folks who represent me. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, the reaction because Otani is so popular, I knew that it was going to be a flood of people saying, you know, that's ridiculous. The one thing that made me laugh a little bit is that no one actually reads the column and the words in the column where they were like, you're just mad because you didn't get leaked something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the potential impact for him. I'm talking about the potential impact for the sport and the absolute failure uh, to realize all that and, and how much fun it could have been. Instead, you get this whole situation where someone who's been in the game his whole life, like Dave Roberts, is having to defend just mentioning his name out loud. And, and yes, on social media, a lot of fans uh, were, were chiming in. They didn't like to call him, and that's fine. I can tell you privately, a lot of folks in the industry were texting me saying, thank you for writing that at the team level, folks in the media, because uh, they're glad someone said it out loud. Is J.J. Watt going to try and cancel Dave Roberts for, you know, upsetting Shohei Otani's privacy? Like, what are we doing here? Here, Look, if I had a conversation with J.J. Watt, here's what I would say to him. Uh, Because what he essentially wrote, I'm paraphrasing here, and he was reacting to what I wrote and what Stephen A. said uh, on television. He said, yeah, if the player uh, goes and visits team to team, you know, the media's response is that guy's greedy, makes it all about him. And if he does it secret, he gets criticized as well. What I would say to J.J. is... Uh, it just point out the sweeping generalization. It would what he wrote there is essentially the equivalent of me saying, "Yeah, all athletes are incredibly greedy and they don't care about other people." That would be stupid for me to say anything like that. And I've never, I don't think, ever used the word greed when it comes to players and contracts because they don't believe it. And we see great examples of people like JJ going out, incredible. Uh, philanthropic uh, spirit that he has raises a ton of money, you know, so that sweeping generalization wouldn't apply to JJ or most players. And you don't say that it's a lazy narrative and he's better than that. I got to say, I have another thought on this, but I, JJ Watt did the, the the bit in that tweet where he's like the media, the media, my media, right. You're on TV all day. You're a member of the media. You can't pull that card. I hate, when athletes come into our business, which is great and it's awesome and I love having them around, but they can't come into the media business and be like, I'm not in the media. That's not what I'm like. That's, that's not how it works, man. You're not Larry from from business acquisitions who transitioned to HR and then is going around telling everyone I'm not in HR. I'm not in HR. Like, that's not how this works. You're a media member, JJ. Sorry. Well, and Taylor, I mean, you've been doing the podcast. What? This is year four. Mm-hmm. We just finished. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have you heard me ever say a player is greedy? Never, They're, never. Like, I've never said that. I've never thought that when, you know, and I was mentioned again, if I, if JJ was in front of me, I'd say, look, I covered the NFL for one year in 2002. I covered the New York giants. And I walked away from that 
rooting for players to get as much as they possibly can because they pay a price. JJ pays a price physically. All those guys. I feel the same way about baseball players uh, with their contracts. I'm rooting for Otani to get a billion dollars. How much fun would that be? Like, you, I don't think of it as greedy. I think of it as a lost opportunity to celebrate the sport and to allow other people to celebrate him. Look, I've told you stories like Cal Ripken and I did not get along that great in the two years that I covered him as a beat writer. Do you know what Cal did that was amazing in 1995? And Jeter did this as well uh, when he was with the Yankees. You know, Cal made up his mind in 1995 when he was approaching Lou Gehrig's record for consecutive games played. You know what? I'm going to allow this to be a celebration of baseball. So although it was against his nature to meet with reporters every few days in these visit in the cities where the Orioles would go, uh, he still did it because he knew it would be a celebration of baseball. And and it was wonderful. That whole year was amazing. Derek Jeter and his career, another guy. Like, I wouldn't say, like, Derek Jeter and I are, are warm or close or anything like that. He was great. He made himself available to reporters. He spoke all the time. He did a great service for baseball. So did Cal. You know, on down the line. And that was the opportunity that Otani had in this free agency. Instead, we get these stupid double you know, secret probation rules about mentioning his name out loud and not talking, not even giving us the name of his dog when he was sitting there getting the MVP award. It really is. It's ridiculous. It's not his dog, everyone. I don't believe that it, Shohei Otani has a dog. <laughs> See? And because he wouldn't How say we the know? dog's we name out loud, now we got conspiracy theories. Right. We don't know that it's his dog. <laughs> no one's confirmed that his, like, we don't, we know nothing about the dog. And then the last thing I, I'll say about this, everyone who's screaming about respect his privacy, respect his privacy. He plays major league baseball. He's on TV. He plays a game for entertainment that people watch and pay to go see. You want right. to talk about privacy? Go work in a dang candle shop. But that would be, that wouldn't work for him because the lady at the candle shop would tell you the name of her dog. <laughs> Okay. So annoyed. Okay, we're done. Todd Taike, uh, I'm going to let you take this buster because I don't want to botch it, but he's accusing you of botching uh, the young man on the Brewers who just got the nice contract. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to botch it. I don't want Todd's wrath, but can you say it correctly here? And why you know you said it correctly on the previous show because he grilled you for not, for allegedly. Okay, so what I got, the note, before we started the podcast, I reached out to Mike Vassallo, the head of media relations with the Brewers, and he spelled out for me, how they pronounce it and what I chureto. That's what he spelled out for me. Chureto. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, you're gone. We went to the source, you know, the closest source other than the player to get his name. Okay. There we go. Corey Rooker writes in seems wrong. Yamamoto could get 300 million and Paul Skeens, the best amateur American pitcher, got a fraction of that. What's stopping American high school players from going to Japan instead of college simply? for the increased payday. This is an interesting point that Corey brings yeah, up. Yeah, very, very interesting by Corey on that. Um, uh, look, I, I think you probably, and I haven't checked this with everyone, but I think you probably could. The question is, uh, with the way that the rules are drawn out, I wonder if a uh, you know, team drafted a player out of high school, would they retain his rights for one year? And how many American high school players, you know, who are kids who are 18 years old would say, look, it's all about the money. And I'm just going to go uh, and play in Japan for three years and not play professional baseball here. I think that's a stretch. I, I don't think there are a lot of kid, teenagers who would do that after watch, spending their whole lives watching Major League Baseball. Does that make sense? Like, you're yeah, right. Totally. That might be a path to make more money. But I don't know if necessarily the imagination of 17, 18, 19-year-olds would go there. 
I could see it maybe becoming a thing down the road because it Scott is. Scott Boris a- could uh, recommend to his players, right? Scott right. has an imaginative mind. I could see him doing that at some point. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, they do it in soccer. They do it in basketball. Not a ton in basketball, but it's still it's definitely an option that players have taken, and it, we've seen it before. So I wouldn't be surprised if more players didn't start doing it. But I, I you know, it's uncomfortable. You're you're a 17 year old. You're going to move to Japan. You know nothing about it. Just play baseball. That's a big that's a big leap. Let's go to Amy Chapman for the last one today. New conspiracy theory. Maybe Scott Boris is repping Otani's dog and waiting to get him a good deal with naming rights. <laughs> and she point. also asked Taylor about a how about a health update? The foot is good. We are I'm back at Orange Theory Buster. I'm getting those splat points. I'm sweating it out. I can't run yet, but uh you know I still walk with a little bit of a limp, but I'm feeling good. I'm I'm basically back to 100%. So, you know, I'm in the office right now, which is a big change. I could drive. It's it's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, I love the idea of uh, naming rights for the dog. And maybe that's the way, you know, Otani, you talk about a way to win popularity. What if you were to like pick four finalists, throw it out on social media? Hey, here are four uh, options for the dog and giving in terms of giving the dog a name. Uh, imagine the response. How many votes would he get? It would yeah, be like yeah. millions of votes, people chiming in. Show us show us your personality, Shohei. That's all we want. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> That's it for today. With this emergency pod, my thanks to Juan Soto, the Yankees, the Padres, and also Carl, Sarah, Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.